You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Thank you for bearing with me today. Um, the last month, we've been going over a lot of the basics of just who we are, why we believe what we believe. Uh, we, I, I kicked off a, a little series on how to read scripture and how cool scripture is. And, and then Corey came in and kind of tag teamed it with me because one of our main things we wanted to get across is that Jesus would be the lens through which we see all of scripture. Uh, he came to, to actually recalibrate everything we think about the Father so that when we approach scripture now, we can just approach scripture through Jesus and see rightly, more, much more rightly through the Holy Spirit, what scripture is all about. And then we spent a couple weeks talking about what is church? You know, who is this body, this bride, this gathering, this family of God? And what does it look like when we gather together? And, um, and then Corey came last week and it was just so, so good. He, um, he read through a lot of John 13 through 17, which is arguably one of the just richest sections of scripture. He said if he was on a deserted island and he only got five chapters, it would be those five. And uh, when you read through, you, you get a sense why. It's, it's just all these beautiful red letters, you know? Have you guys ever done just a, a read the red season? Sometimes this has happened to me a couple times in my life when I just felt like I needed a recalibration, a reformation. And um, the first time it, the, I felt like the, the Lord whispered, read the red. And so that's what I did. I just, I blazed through all the gospels and, and I read everything that was in red. And obviously the, the context to set up those discourses um, I want to invite you guys into just a new level of, of devotion to the scriptures. Uh, me and four friends, we're reading through the New Testament in a month, which is about 10 chapters a day. And um, uh, I don't know if the rest of the guys are going to do it, but Vincent Corcoran, he's the one that challenged me into it. It's his idea. And um, I think we're going to do it for several months in a row. Just immerse ourselves in the, the whole New Testament every month for like several months in a row. So I want to invite you guys into that with me. Um, but, you know, when Corey was preaching out of um, John 13 through 17, that, that section opens up with the famous foot washing session. And, and it ends with the high priestly prayer in John 17. And, and all throughout, you know, this, there's just beautiful truth and wisdom and revelation. And, and Jesus talks a lot about the coming Holy Spirit, you know, the promise of the Father. And those chapters are, <clears throat> it's the section of time when Jesus was strengthening his disciples to endure a hard time that was coming, to set them up, to be able to, to push through, ultimately to the upper room moment and beyond. But I say to the upper room, you know, that, that Pentecost day, because that would be the day when Jesus would come with his, his spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Christ would dwell in us to empower us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. You know, they had witnessed a lot of things, but they weren't empowered 
witnesses yet. It's in these chapters that Jesus' promises and words and, and prayers would be the thing that would carry this uh, ragtag team of fishermen and tax collectors and doctors and all of their, you know, the, the various places that these men came from. You know, Jesus promised them in, in Luke 24 after his resurrection, he said, I'm going to send you the promise of the Father. So stay in the city a little longer until you're clothed with power from on high. And then they reiter- it's reiterated in Acts 1.8. It says that you will be given power to be my witnesses. And, you know, that, that's, our, that's our namesake. We're the upper room. We're the upper room because we choose to come together in unity and minister to God's heart through worship and prayer. And lo and behold, when we dwell in that place and make that our aim, the Holy Spirit is poured out and his presence is transforming lives, morning, noon, and night. Um, But I want to back up just a little bit before we get too far ahead of ourselves um, and talk about Peter's epic fail. Corey uh, spent a little bit of time talking about how Peter in the uh, Last Supper scene, he would proclaim his own special devotion to God. He, he, He would try to distinguish himself above the rest of the people and say, hey, no matter what comes, I'll go to the grave with you. I'll, I'll die for you. And really, Peter was still operating in that mentality of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you know, and, and showing, like, compare, he's comparing himself with the others, and he's, and he's filled with his own spiritual pride. He's, he's more intoxicated on his own devotion to the Lord than the Lord's to him. <clears throat> and we all know that Peter failed miserably in the moment when Jesus needed him the most. And <clears throat> sorry. When Peter was saying, like, I'm I'm gonna die for you, what he wasn't also saying is that I'm willing to kill for you. And when he went into the garden, he certainly didn't die for Jesus. He only killed for Jesus. And the thing that Jesus was trying to deliver him and all of humanity of was our willingness to kill for God. Peter came out of the garden humbled and he was restored by the Lord. And that thing in him where he was proclaiming his own devotion, even to the point of killing the people that Jesus came to save, he was delivered of that thing. And really, I think that that's something that we still struggle with as, as humanity. You know, we're, when people say, I'm, I'm willing to, to die for the Lord, a lot of times what we're saying, if, well, let me just talk to me, to myself. When I say, like, I'll do anything for the Lord, when I say, like, I'm, I'll die for you, often what isn't being said are the things that I would sacrifice or kill for him that he would never want me to do. And it's maybe not kill literally, but, but figuratively, you know, through judgments and comparison to kill friendships and passions, to be a killjoy. See, the religious spirit of performance has tricked me many times and it's tricked many other believers 
into laying down our actual God-given passions and gifts in order to go into ministry. It's even tricked many ministers into laying down their own kids on the altar of ministry or sacrificing marriages. But I think that we all just need to back up to the foot washing. And instead of saying, Lord, let me show you all the ways that I'm going to serve you. We need to slow down, sit down, let the Lord look at us and, and hear him say, let me serve you in this moment. Let me love on you. You know, the, the Lord Almighty who formed our feet out of dust, who, who spoke the dirt particles into existence, the Lord Almighty, he decided that he had to get beneath us, beneath the very feet that he created and wash off the dirt that he spoke into existence. And then he decided that's not low enough. He wanted to get beneath all of humanity go down into the grave and continue to serve us and wash our feet, wash our souls of the dirt. That's just how good he is and how humble he is. And obviously when Jesus came to Peter to wash his feet, Peter, you know, the guy who's proclaiming his, his own loyalty and his devotion, he's one of the guys arguing about who would be the greatest. Peter says, no, 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 no. You can't wash my feet. You're, you're the Lord. Like I'm, I'm here to serve you like and but Jesus looks at him and says, if if you don't let me serve you, you'll have no part in me. In other words, if you don't let me love you first, you'll never love. If you don't learn to freely receive, you will never be able to freely give. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, I, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Any of you guys in here um, trying to get something from your friends? Now we would all shake our head and say, no, 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 we don't, we're not trying to get something from our friends. We just enjoy being around them. Uh, if I, you know, David <clears throat> is a, David Lux is a good friend of mine. Casey's a good friend. I've got tons of good friends in the room, but let's say I call up David and I say, hey man, let's hang out. Why don't you come over? He's like, yeah, sounds great. I'm free. And I, and, but then I say, oh, oh, and, and on your way, would you pick up a pizza? <clears throat> he, and he'd be like, yeah, man, sounds great. But let's say I call him, you know, a week later. And I'm like, hey, David, let's hang out. And he's like, cool, I'm coming over. And I'm like, oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Before you get here, will you uh, pick us up some burgers and six pack of soda? And he's like, sure. Uh, <laughs> But if I keep on doing that, he's going to think that <clears throat> he's my food delivery system. And that I don't want to hang out with him just to like be around him, that I'm trying to get something from him. Well, and that, that, wouldn't, that would damage our friendship. And the opposite is true. See, we've been given such a great gift from the Lord. Often we're trying to earn it. We're trying to prove to him, you didn't make a mistake, Jesus, in choosing me and let me prove it to you through my devotion. And we think that Jesus is interested in what we bring to the table instead of him just wanting to hang out with us on a Friday night. 
See, I've, I've been that guy. I've been the one who I believed I was especially anointed. <clears throat> I'm going to work at that eventually. <clears throat> Things just hanging on to my uvula. It's just it's spiritual warfare day for me. <laughs> I've been that guy who I believed that I was especially anointed to be more devoted than others and do great things for God. And probably the, the longest deliverance of my life and the most important deliverance or the, the deepest deliverance of my life or an ongoing deliverance of my life is being delivered of doing something great for God. See, there's a, there's a, a subtle but very important shift between you know, leaving that mentality of doing something great for God and entering the mentality that I'm going to commune with God and do great things with God forever. Because when you are communing with God and recognizing that he's with you, then everything that you do is unto him and it's a great thing. When you're communing with God and, and recognizing that he's there and that you're forever one with him and enjoying his presence, then you can wash dishes and glow with the glory of his presence. That's what would happen with um, Brother Lawrence. That old monk wrote, practice the presence of God. It was said of him that he, um, you know, he, he learned how to turn within himself and find the presence of God and find that place of joy with him no matter what he was doing. And if a moment came when he recognized that he had drifted from that realization, he would repent, but not in a way where he beat himself up. Like, when are you going to get this right, Brother Lawrence? No, he would, say, <laughs> he would just turn again within himself and recognize that he had never lost his union with God. He did this for years and years and years, just living that monk lifestyle. And he had chores. He would have to mop the floors and do the dishes and people, visitors, like travelers would travel long distances to come and watch this dude wash dishes because he would begin to glow with the glory of God. He was doing great things with God. So I've spent, you know, 20 years repenting for believing that my fuel my fire would fuel the church instead of letting his fire sustain me. I've been repenting for 20 years of trying to earn the gifts that were already freely given. I've been repenting of trying to do something great for God. And just like Peter, I thought the church would be built on the great things that I would do for him but the church needed to be built upon the great things that Jesus would do for us. He is the chief cornerstone. His name is Jesus. We sang it today. The worship actually just beautifully played into a lot of the things that I wanted to share today. Jesus is laid down, self-giving, other-centered love would be the foundation for our church. Even think about the foundation of a building. It's the lowest point. He's still under us, lifting us high. 
We're able to love because he loved us first. We're able to give anything because we realize that he gave us everything. In that upper room scene, you know, with the, sorry, the last supper scene before the, the outpouring came, Jesus even washed the feet of the people who he knew would betray him. He washed the feet of the traitors. Really, when it came down to it, they, they've all taken turns failing the Lord. But, you know, what's beautifully depicted is that everyone except for Mary, 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 and possibly another Mary. <laughs> it's a little unclear. There's the other Mary. <laughs> anyway, um, Mary, 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 and John were the only ones that made it to the cross, which is just a beautiful, you know, prophetic picture because Mary actually, the word Mary originally meant bitterness. And so and John means God is gracious. So Jesus at the cross is surrounded by bitterness, 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 but God will be gracious. Even on the cross, he's offered bitterness to drink. But that upper room scene, Jesus is washing the feet of the ones that he knows are going to leave him. And he's washing the feet of G- Judas, who he knows is going to betray him. And even, so recently I learned that when Jesus dipped the bread, and gave it to Judas, he didn't just dip it in wine. He dipped the bread in this special gravy. It's the drippings from the meat that it's reserved for the master of the meal. It's like the best part. He gave Judas the tastiest part of the meal that was supposed to be reserved for him. This laid down love that Jesus demonstrated became the foundation for the first century church. And it should be the foundation for the current century church. And one of the things that, one of the goals or one of the reasons why I'm, I'm talking a lot about the, the first and second century and the, the start of the church is because I believe that there are things within those centuries that we've lost. And there are things that they had to deal with that we would never have to deal with. There, there were, they had struggles and troubles and problems also. But I feel like there's just some beautiful things that we need to mine from those seasons again to bring back into what we're doing today. You know, the one who laid his head on the chest of Jesus, it's a guy named John the, the Beloved, John the Apostle. I love how he defines himself. Like, he's not like, John, he is a revelator, John the revelator. He is John the apostle, but he is mostly defined. He defines himself as the one whom Jesus loves. I'm the beloved. If you, I, I so want that to be me. Like, how you doing today, Jeremy? I'm, I'm loved. <laughs> I'm the beloved. I'm his favorite, you know? Like, my name is Jeremy, the beloved. <clears throat> John was such a lovey-dovey guy. (laughs) He would always be writing about love. He had a a chief disciple himself. This guy is named Polycarp. And Polycarp was obviously infected with the same kind of perspective and the same kind of love that John the Beloved carried because he was like a spiritual dad to him. Polycarp was such an incredible man of God he was born in AD 69. John the Beloved probably died somewhere around AD 90. So 
Polycarp had, um, you know, if he, if he meets John in his teen years, he had less than 10 years with him, but he got to sit down with the one who laid his head on the chest of Jesus and hear directly from that man. And so Polycarp carried that firsthand message of Jesus into the, the next generation. And it was during a time when Christians were being persecuted like crazy. And you, like, if you were a believer, you were actually a believer. Like you, because <laughs> it was at the, the risk of your life. Polycarp was uh, living in a time when he, he was seeing his friends get tortured and, and martyred. And, and for some reason, he, it, it never landed on him. It's like the Romans never directed all their attention at Polycarp. It's kind of like he, he floated under the radar somehow all the way until he was 86 years old. And then eventually the Romans got smart and were like, why don't we just take out the leader? Why don't we go after Polycarp? And so the, the officials began to hunt him down. Like he was public enemy number one. They had like task, for, task force. If, it, if there was like a, 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 an FBI and a special forces, they had, that's what they were using to search after Polycarp. Like, who is this dude that's turned the world upside down? And so when they realized that Polycarp was, you know, in the, in the crosshairs of Rome, he and his disciples decided that they were going to jump, they were going to move to the country to evade being captured. So they moved to a house and continued worshiping the Lord, fellowshipping, devoted to the apostles, teaching, to prayer, to fellowship. And... <clears throat> And so the Romans would catch wind of like what area they're in and they would go hunt them down. Well, by revelation, they would know the Romans were coming and they would move to another house in the country. Or they would have a, a spy, you know, another Christian who would tip them off and say, hey, they're coming to get you. And so they would bounce from house to house to house to house. But eventually Polycarp had this vision from the Lord. I can't remember if it was a dream or a vision, but he, had a, he saw himself being burned at the stake. And he felt the pleasure of the Lord. And it was God showing him the way that he would lay down his life for him. And so the next time the Romans came to, to get Polycarp, he had already had this vision. And so he, all of his, his buddies were saying like, we got to get out of here. It's time to pack up, time to go. And Polycarp says, no, not this time, boys. Set out all of our best food, wine, and water. And they, he prepared a table. So that when his murderers came, he invited them in and gave them his best. All these Roman sh soldiers showed up. They didn't know who Polycarp really was. They were sent on assignment to capture him, bring him back and, and kill him. And so when they got to Polycarp's cabin, he's standing at the door, welcoming them into a meal. He was so kind to them that they began to be like so conflicted. They're like, how are we going to kill this sweet old geezer? Like,
Thank you for uh, being patient with my tears. We can cut those 30 seconds from the podcast. It's easy. So eventually, Polycarp says, hey, do you mind if I stand and pray for an hour? And they said, no, that, that would be fine. And so he stands up and verbally prays for two hours straight. This guy's an intercessor. He's a Monday 6 a.m. kind of intercessor who hogs the mic. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and it's, it's said that Polycarp prayed for every person he had ever met, prayed for every church in existence, and prayed for all the Romans in the room. And eventually, like, they were like, okay, we got to lead you away. They were going to restrain him. And he said, there's no need for those. I'm not running from this. And he walks with them, you know, all the miles back to where the governor is and he's being um, tried and interrogated and threatened with torture. And and the the governor at the time, his name was fittingly Herod. He was a different Herod though. But he said that, you know, it's either going to be the, you know, we're going to feed you to the wild animals, to the beasts. And, but this whole time, Polycarp knew that he was going to be burned at the stake. And so Polycarp just stood his ground. He never recanted his faith, obviously. And then uh, Herod decided that he was going to burn him instead and make a spectacle of it. They'd burned a lot of Christians at the stake. And so they assembled the, the pile of, um, you know, the wood and pyre and whatnot with the thing to be tied to in the middle of it. And Polycarp willingly climbed up on the heap and stood at the stake and the Romans were going to uh, nail his feet to it, but he said, there's, there's no need. I won't run from this. And so they let him stand there untethered while they lit the fire. And um, onlookers said that it was unlike any uh, martyrdom that they'd done before, unlike any burning of a Christian they'd ever done before. They said that the, the flames arced around him and framed him in this beautiful, fiery circle. And he began to glow. And uh, said when it didn't smell like burning flesh, it smelled like baking bread and incense. <clears throat> they eventually had to, had to stab him with a... a spear while he was not really being consumed. (laughs) Um, Some onlookers, this is, I I read this in several accounts. They said that when they, when they stabbed him, a flow of water and a dove erupted from the wound. (laughs) Crazy, right? Y'all are just, just believe with me. You guys believe in a virgin birth now. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> uh, 
You know, the, but the reason these martyrs could so freely give their lives is because they knew that Jesus had freely given his to them. And see, what's even more mystically and, and powerfully true is that as Ashley saying, Jesus didn't just die for us, he died as us. The martyrs knew this secret that they had been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, which meant when their time came, they were already dead. Romans 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. So the old man is dead. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why am I saying all this? Um, I love featuring some of these you know, heroes of our faith from throughout the ages, but really I, I want us to have the foundation of our church built on God's fiery affection for us. It's actually possible to give all of our possessions to the poor, but have not love. It's possible to fathom great mysteries and steward intense revelation and have no love. It's possible to build mighty organizations, feed the poor, prophesy, heal, and not surrender to the scary place of being known by him and experiencing his affection. I once heard a a believer from another continent who uh, planted churches in difficult regions. He visited the U.S. and came to some churches. And when he was interviewed, he said this, It's amazing what the church in America can build without the Holy Spirit. Our namesake is the upper room. So what I want for us to do is to continue to let the Lord wash our feet, pour out his spirit. And I believe that we're all going to be delivered of being more impressed by what we can do for him than what he's done for us. Can you guys stand with me so we can pray? Father, we stand consecrated and set apart, not because of our own devotion, but because of your blood poured out and your spirit dwelling in our hearts. We know that you've transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son whom you love. We thank you, God, that Every promise in you is ours now. Every bit of inheritance in you is ours now. We thank you that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that's in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you've seated us in heavenly places in you. We thank you for the honor of representing you, Jesus. We thank you that you've made us ambassadors of this great and powerful love. And Holy Spirit, I pray for a new baptism, a new filling, a fresh fire to fall on this church. One where we not just know these things, but we actually experience them. Jesus. 
thank you for this body. We thank you that you've, you're knitting our hearts together. We thank you for the, the friendships represented in this room. We thank you for the marriages represented in this room. We thank you for the legacy of our children and our children's children represented in this room. We ask God that you continue to make us the most tight-knit family. That all of the, the dreams and desires of Jesus when he dreamed about his church would be fulfilled in this place through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.